Welcome back, everybody. It's Implicitly Awkward here. I'm one of your hosts, Alexia. I'm your other host, Marcus. And today we have a super special guest. Um, yep, we are talking uh, about the experience of people of color, um, our guest experience as a woman of color um, in life and professional spaces, and how to practice radical self-love throughout all of it. Um, yeah, we talked about a lot of stuff this week, but it's pretty good. Like, yeah, you know. it, it's really, really good. So y'all don't want to miss it. So many different topics. Um, I'll say I really enjoyed uh, recording this episode. All right, ready, set, go. Let's do it. This is... Implicitly. Awkward. Cue the music. Welcome to Implicitly Awkward. Uh, This week we have a very special guest in the building with us, Tiana Spears. Tiana Spears, who has her blog, What's Up with Tiana, and has a storytelling platform on the way. Uh, Claps all around. Hey, everybody. Um, So, what's up with Tiana? Uh, just, (laughs) Just trying to stay positive and make it through the year. You know, I think a lot of people are are doing that this year but it's it's good to be on and and thanks so much for having me and and i'm looking forward to talking with you guys yeah of course thank you for coming on um so this what's up with tiana like how did your blogging start um so i actually started when i was living in uh, madrid about five years ago um I was just having all these experiences um, with trying to fit into Spanish culture and like adjusting to living overseas by myself. And I was feeling really stressed out one night and I just sat down and wrote about it. And um, the blog was originally called uh, Dame Tu WhatsApp because Mm -hmm. it was a phrase that a lot of people were saying. And um, a lot of my friends from the Dominican were like, they'd ask for my WhatsApp. but WhatsApp actually sent me a letter, a season desist letter for using their, really? <laughs> their name in my blog. So four years ago, I changed it to what's up with Tiana. Um, um, and that stuck. <laughs> dang, dang, WhatsApp said, please, please, please. do this. <laughs> wow. That's it was, so it was nice. Yeah. Um, it was nice. But I mean, I like the blog is just. It's really grown from there. Um, this year, I actually hit 50 posts, um, 50 blog posts, and I just use it basically as like a, a space to talk about, you know, whatever I'm going through professionally, personally, or conversations I have with others. So. That's really dope. I guess I'm ex- I'm interested in your experience in Spain and kind of like assimilating to maybe not assimilating to the culture, but like, you know, understanding the culture and then finding yourself there as well. Yeah, uh, Spain was really a trip. Um, I actually lived in the Dominican the year before that uh, for a year and a half. And I was young. I was like 22, 23 years old. And decided I wanted to move from the Dominican to Spain and super young. And I didn't do any research on like the country and I'd never been. And I got there and it was just so different from the DR. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't blend in like in the Dominican, I could just leave the house. And like, as long as I didn't speak my like American 
accented Spanish. Like no one knew that I wasn't Dominican. Mm -hmm. Um, And the people were very warm there. So when I moved to Spain, I was just really like, I met friends, but it took me a lot of effort to like get into a circle of a friend group and community. And um, I had a lot of experiences with racism there as well. Yeah. Um, So I only lived there for about a year before I moved back to the States. Yeah, I I could imagine like if people are unfamiliar like with Dominican Republic and like Spain and how there is influence right in Spanish or Latin culture but there's such a difference and then even in between the different countries as well like Dominican Republic Caribbean you have like African influence as well so it really is like such such a difference and like I think also there is always like this want in the latino culture of like being as spanish as you can as well and like that root of racism uh yeah so i find it like really interesting um in terms of what you're saying about your experience in spain yeah i mean you bring up really good points right because you have the colorism um Mm -hmm. when i lived in the dominican i worked at this uh private school and the only people who were actually like my skin, my skin complexion or darker were like the cleaning staff Wow! in the Dominican Republic. And my students would tell me like, no, no, no. Like my family is from Spain. Like I'm not, I'm not black. Like, but it's like, (laughs) yep. 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 And then I got to Spain and they were like, yeah, if you're not from here, like you're not, a part of us our culture so they were very uh, like much against south americans so i live with a family from argentina and they were really nice they like took me in but i found like south americans to be more friendly to me as a black woman than actually like spanish people yeah yeah uh like what you're saying too uh i feel (laughs) um at least in my experience, I'm Salvadorian, and it's always like, well, you know, we have, like, Spanish uh, ancestors, uh, you know, your grandfather, blah, 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 but it's, like, also, there's a whole rich uh, history of, like, indigenous as well, and, like, mixing of the people, Uh, but it's always such a thing in the Latino culture to try to kind of, like, identify yourself with that spanish ancestry because of the hierarchies that were created based off of colorism um yeah Yeah. it's it's just really a trip all of it yeah Um, for sure i can only imagine like especially when like uh the culture shock when you first pull up like get off the plane like in in spain like all right here we go i'm about to live my best life and they're just like "Ooh, who are you you know yeah it was uh it was just a like a wild experience um just getting adjusted um like when i lived in the dr i really i learned spanish in college but i didn't really Mm -hmm. speak it that well (laughs) and i didn't know anything that like i hadn't been exposed to different accents so i didn't really understand anyone for like the first six months i lived there (laughs) dominicans talk fast they taught fast que lo que like yeah they don't say que lo que 
but I love it. I love it. It's definitely also like the different nuances of people's Spanish and stuff. So kudos to you. Did you learn uh, Spanish fluently in Dominican? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I speak fluent Spanish. Um, I mean, I really learned how to listen in, in Spain or in the Dominican and I learned how to speak in Spain because they talk a lot slower. So I feel like I was able to like, <laughs> let me try, let me attempt. Um, but the DR, I mean, just hands down, like the friends I met, the culture, the food, like I learned how to dance. Mm-hmm. I, it was just like, I've never lived somewhere and just felt so like I had a community and I felt accepted and like loved. It was really great. Yeah. Sounds really beautiful. DR is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, Puerto Rico's right by DR as well. Mm-hmm. I've been to both. Um, obviously different because Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, they always be like beefed and stuff like that. But it's just like a very warm culture. There are like various shades of Dominicans, Puerto Ricans. Um, yeah, it, it really is. They're both like beautiful, beautiful islands. Yeah, and I know that like you... Uh... All right, because I feel like that whole being fluent in Spanish thing like opens up a bunch of doors for you because you also lived in Mexico too, right? Yeah, um, so I lived in, I moved back in 2018 or 2017 and I was in Durham uh, where I was raised and I actually found a job. I had a friend that I studied abroad with in college who sent me a job opportunity to work for the State Department. Um, And I actually started working with the State Department. I did training for like six months in D.C. And Marcus, that's how we met, Uh, you know, a couple years ago. Shout out to Durham. Shout out to Kira, you know, a childhood friend. And and then I moved to Mexico. I lived in um, Ciudad Juarez first for six months and then like another six months in Mexico City. Yeah, again, like... Uh, goals because you know what i'm saying i just got i just got my passport in march and then like okay. the world shut down okay. so like you know, i don't really have the stamps like tiana does but you know what i'm saying i'm about to get out there eventually yeah i mean at least you like you have it and you can use it you know when the they're i don't know if you want to travel right now but like mm-hmm. there are still don't like yeah you know there, i don't know you could still when all this finishes and when all this comes to an end with COVID, I think that you could definitely get out there, you know? For sure. Like, what was the, um, what was the thing that you, you were most surprised about when you lived in Mexico? Like what, what, what didn't you expect to see, you know? Mm. I, I think Juarez to me was the biggest trip of, or like the the craziest experience I've had uh, traveling or living abroad, um, because you know Juarez is right on the border. It's about where I lived. I lived in Mexico, but I lived ten minutes from the U.S. border. Mm-hmm. So in ten minutes, I could cross the border and I could go to Target. I could meet a friend in the U.S. I could like pretty much live any type of like anything I wanted to do. But I could also like go outside of Mexico and like go get some of the best Mexican food I've ever had. Or I was speaking in Spanish and it was just like this mixed culture, like border life that was really surprising to me. Yeah, like I can only imagine what that that's like, you know, like because because all right, 
I mean, I know the states. I mean, well enough to know that like we have a we have an issue with immigration and being xenophobic and such. Um, so it, I, I mean, I could be like completely wrong, but it feels like it almost feels tense, like that area, you know. It it felt. I think I was able to separate the two because I engaged in like radical self care. Um, so I worked as a consular officer. First, I worked in immigrant visas. So I would interview about 25 to 30 people a day. Could be families, like one individual or up to one time I had a family of eight. Um, <clears throat> and you're making these decisions based off of U.S. immigration law that, you know, you're going to issue or reject their visa. And then, you know, they get the green card and they live in the States if you accept them. But I just interacted with people from all different walks of life. Like I'd have DACA um, mm -hmm. visa applicants who are like my age. I'd have like grandparents that were in their 80s or 90s. And you're flipping through these packets that are 100 pages, like just a stack full of paper. And you're flipping through and you're just looking at people's lives and you're looking at like their kids and you know, you know that this decision is going to always impact them and they're always going to remember this experience with you. Um, and that was just really, it was really heavy, you know. Um, it's for me to do that job as a black woman, it was very difficult because I mean, I've been discriminated against. I like some of the ways that immigration law is implemented within how much this family earns is like it impacts and harms people of color, communities of color. Um, and it was it was just really difficult to do this job where um, like I could see it in immigrant visas, but then when I moved to Mexico City, I could see that immigration law was really only set up for rich people like mm -hmm. i could look at someone's hands and and know immediately what kind of job they worked what area they lived in how much money they made and it was just the wildest experience and i don't know if you were not a person of color and you weren't paying attention if you'd had that same experience was there a time um or like a specific case that you still remember now in terms of like having to turn away Um, having to turn away. Or that you couldn't, you know, allow them to come through. Oh, yeah. Um, I only really remember the extreme cases. Mm -hmm. uh, like the extreme rejections or like the acceptances were like, it was a 12-year-old going to Disney World for the first time or like... Um, uh, a girl going to the Girl Scouts Gymboree in West Virginia. Like, it's just like the, the craziest. I, I interviewed one time um, a graphic designer who had written children's books and she lived in San Francisco. And then another, uh, a guy who worked as a social activist at this nonprofit um, with like Latinx families in Austin. So I like, I have those memories. And then I have, um, like one time I had uh, a family and they said that they were from Mexico, but the father was like 
um, very like patronizing like he was calling me like sweetheart and darling and like and I was like hey uh, please don't you know like just you don't have to do all that also your wife is here and your family this is just a professional interview and something about his accent wasn't like he didn't have a Mexican accent and he said he was born and raised in Mexico um and I like I went had to go to the fraud unit and uh found out that the family is actually from Romania and had counterfeit Mexican passports. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So like, and I also had to make sure that I didn't run into him at lunch, like outside in the street. You know, it's just, it was really, I've never had any types of experiences like that before I joined the State Department. Mm-hmm. Um, you bring up an interesting, like, cultural I think even though the individual was Romanian, but I guess I would be interested in your experience of like Latino culture or Spanish culture and like machismo. And if you like had experienced any of that or your maybe your thoughts while you were living in these different places. Hmm. I, I don't think I experienced that until I got to Mexico. I mean, machismo definitely exists in, like, the DR. I'd have guys catcall me and, you know, and you ignore them. It's definitely annoying. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, I remember dating this guy in Mexico City. He was actually from Madrid. And um, we had gone on, we were dating for, like, two, three months. And we weren't, I mean we weren't doing anything like too expensive. Like we go to Chili's and spend like $20, $30 or something, you know, or just something mm-hmm. like, you know, um, like a street taco stand. And he started to get really uh, like more aggressive with me. And I found out that he was actually mad that I made more money than he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the way he spoke to me and the way he treated me, after like that came to light where it was really interesting. It was just this level of like, I was um, subservient to him and, you know, like I owed him something because I had a a job where I was making more money than him, even though he knew out of the gate, you know, what I did for a living. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'd have experiences like that with men that just, especially in like, like Mexican culture, I think I'd meet guys that like, if they were a lawyer, a doctor, whatever, they, I mean, they just talked over me the entire time. And I wasn't necessarily regarded as like a human being, like a person. Yeah. Um, and I don't like, have you had any experiences like that? Yeah. I mean, like growing up in uh, Latinx culture and household um, as a girl and a woman, um, you know, I really did see a lot of the women serving plates to the men. Um, everything is also kind of centered around like a man. Like people will ask, "Oh, itu novio? Like, do you have a boyfriend?" You know. So every, your existence is kind of around that. And in terms of like, if a guy is speaking, this happens too sometimes now. Uh, like marcus was there too for my uh birthday zoom call like if i was speaking during it my mom may not 
listen and like she'll run over what I have to say. But when my boyfriend was speaking, she would tell my mom, Oh, be quiet, be quiet, I'll be speaking. You know, so you know, when the male's voice is always like more centered. Mm-hmm. And that's it's true. It's just how the culture is, and it's like not necessarily everybody is that way, but there is a deep history of that and of like the patriarch and the man being the the one that's the head of the house and um being subservient and all of that. It's not right. I do think there's like the machismo also has an aggressive quality to it. Mm-hmm. um that you were kind of talking upon and i think it's something that you know we really do kind of have to look at and undo in, in a way or like heal i think in latinx culture and that's not everybody's that way not all like latino males are that way or all uh latina females you know are subservient things like that but it is definitely rooted in the history of like gender roles and for sure it's not just in latinx culture too because you know the same way that we all said that we were going to cancel tory lanes somehow some way he's still booking shows even during a pandemic even after shooting meg the stallion in in her foot and like there's video evidence of this you know what i'm saying but like he's still getting shows he's still on blogs and such so it's crazy yeah that whole patriarchy thing goes pretty deep um so all in all to say i'm sorry that happened to you while you're in mexico that's pretty messed up so yeah i mean it's it's i don't think i've actually been like aware of that um most of the like discrimination i've experienced in my life has been because like i'm black it's i grew up in north carolina I'm originally from California, but I grew up between Connecticut and North Carolina. So most of it was just racism, ignorance. Um, but it, I didn't start to realize until I actually got in like professional workplaces that it's also because I'm a woman as well. Mm-hmm. And that's been the most surprising for me because it's, it's, I mean, just that double blow that's yeah. like, and, and both parties miss out, right? Like if men, are sexist and it's not all men but if men are sexist and you know we allow that culture like women we don't get to exist as our own individuals and also men they don't actually get to be held accountable and grow in different ways and our society allows them um yeah absolutely absolutely like both of those experiences being a female like in my case being latina and that intersection, like both are important and both contribute to like, you know, oppression or different things that I experience. Obviously, I do have privilege to being lighter skinned, um, but they're both like valuable and it's so important with those intersections. And I feel like with males, like, I don't know, just trying to create more awareness and like allyship within that too within like me being latinx but also a female and like how do we like create that allyship with male or male identifying people like an understanding because 
Yeah, this stuff, I mean, also what we saw with FKA Twigs and Shia LaBeouf, too. Yep. Like, that's also the intersection of that, like. Also, he's done, like, he's how many times over, like, the last, what, seven years? There have been cases of him being, like, abusive with people. But somehow, some way, Shia LaBeouf isn't canceled. You know, like, he's still Shia LaBeouf, so he's going to be fine, which is nuts because that's yeah yeah that 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 story was real heartbreaking can't even hold you that was like it's like these extreme circumstances that are horrific that happen and then you know like even things which could happen horribly in the workplace too but like you know the microaggressions as well it's like there's a lot of work to be done you ain't lying yeah there's so much work to be done but when I, i the article is an extremely tough read right and but i think that in like fk twigs coming forward there's such power in that right like in vulnerability in the fact that so many women just people in general are going to read that and understand that they might actually be in a physically and emotionally abusive relationship right and then also like breaking that barrier of because we think that people who have money or certain power or privilege, they don't, they don't experience those types of situations. But it's like, I mean, there's just, I read the article and I was like, wow, this is going to do a lot for so many people. And I'm really sorry that she had that experience. And I also think that like there, there will be other people who will come forward or who will leave abusive relationships because of this article. And yeah. like, oh, at least for me, it's like, yo, Shia LaBeouf, this is a, this is a, uh, how do you mess this up? How, how dare you mess this? This is FKA Twigs we're talking about. Like this, she's incredible at what she does and has been for like years. So it's like, how, why, how, what are you doing? You're, you're hustling backwards, man. That shit, that's, that uh, burns me up. Yeah, it's like no woman, girl, person anybody deserves any type of treatment no matter your status like how beautiful you may be or the things you do like that type of relationship and treatment of people is just like absolutely not okay and I love that she speaks about like coercive control and like how it's not just physical that it can be like monetary it can be emotional like all these different things and at the end, she says, like, one, like, my biggest fear was, right, to be seen or known as somebody who was a victim of domestic violence. But my biggest fear is that I don't say anything and someone doesn't, like, realize they're in a situation or, like, doesn't feel empowered to leave that situation. And I really thought that that was, like, so key and, like, so beautiful and, like, exactly like we needed to hear this so for her to do that it's a really big deal yeah yeah for her to do that marcus you're about to say something well you go first you go first oh i was just gonna say like for her to do that is just i mean she's taking back her power and then she's also suing him um but from personal experience that i've had um the criminal justice system or just just law in general is not set up to protect people of color to begin with so 
I think that for her to even speak about it and put it out there is even more powerful than the lawsuit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So props to her, you know? Yeah, I I can definitely resonate with you as well in terms of criminal justice and police um, and my own experience of just like, one, being a woman of color, Latinx, and being a woman, just like not being heard or not be given the time of day or like my experience being validated and kind of just being seen as like the issue or just not as important. Yeah. And it it happens so much. It just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's been really soul crushing for me because it's happened to me professionally in two workplaces. It's also happened in personal relationships. It's happened at home and I think a lot of times as like being a woman of color is like, well, where do you go? Right. Like yeah. to not experience these things. Right. So, yeah. or how do you take care of yourself so that you can continue to, to be yourself, to be healthy and whole, but to also be safe and validated and seen, you know? That's so facts. It's like these things like haunt you in a way. And you're like, where do I go? But you always are like, I got to put on a, like brave face I gotta get through it like you know I'm tough but at the same time you're like damn it's hard like how do I like be vulnerable in a world where it's pretty difficult to be vulnerable and it always feels like there's kind of like doors shut in on you or like things can be set up against you so that was honestly gonna be my next question because earlier you brought up radical self-care and I was Wondering if you could like expand on that a little bit. I mean, it's, I think that like we have to, since we're people of color, we have these experiences, we have to build our communities, right? So for me, a lot of that has been um, like informal mentors, people that I will contact or, or talk to about whatever's going on in my life. Um, actually met quite a few women who have added a great deal to my life of just um, encouragement and support and and just seeing me um, after I left the State Department. And I can talk about that experience, but I think it's building community, mentorship, and also just like taking care of yourself. So that could be, um, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? So like sometimes, this year has been really hard to like get up in the morning to get dressed, to eat three meals a day. Um, so I think it's like making it easier. I started to, um, put out my vitamins on a little plate in the kitchen. I started to like pre prep my, um, or pre make my coffee in the morning where I just had to push the button on the coffee pot. I would like meal prep so I could just reach in the, uh, the fridge so I could grab actual, like a meal instead of reaching in and grabbing ingredients, right? Um, which I know is a privilege, but it's like, it just, how do you make this thing easier? And I realize it's just like getting enough sleep a night, going outside and like having a friend that you can talk to. Well, would, so, would you guys agree or what, would you add anything? I mean, double tap to absolutely all of that, right? Like, 
like like just looking at your situations like what's in my power and like what can i do for myself knowing that like this is my reality right now how do you make this thing easier i really like that a lot because like you said it's been a long year yo it's been a long year and i feel like at least for me like it feels like we've lost so many just culture pieces this year you know mm-hmm. whether that's just like people actors blah 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 actresses but then like also i mean i'm back like i'm you know i'm I'm back home in dc um and a lot of the places that used to hang out at are just like closed and it's indefinitely and it's like yo what even is this place anymore you know like even if we were outside like where will we go because like it just feels like um everything is so up in the air. So radical self-care being like, how do we make this up? How do we make this easier for yourself? What can you do for yourself in this moment? So I like that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I did too. I feel like 2020 is a lot of examining and like also mourning too. Like, right. We were used to a certain way of life and like we're, privileged you know right we're like oh we could just go here do that um be around people so for me it's really been a lot of like self-reflection kind of getting rid of things that were not serving me and like being okay with that and being like yeah I don't need to be a part of that or like that relationship or um, I don't have to spread myself thin. Uh, so a lot of like that, a lot of like, okay, right. I guess it is radical self-love of like, okay, I'm going to choose myself and like my happiness. And also for me, like, I think knowing to what I want to do in the future has been also very empowering right? I'm able to let go of things and then be like, okay, I'm empowered. I was able to do that. And like, so now I'm going to do this. Um, a lot of that and yeah, relationship, like having good people around you, um, that you can talk to and be yourself. Like really, really, I feel like that's what's gotten me through. Like, Hey Marcus, doing this thing with you and like having these talks, all that, like a hundred percent, right? And like all my friends um, and my partner, like honestly, I would not. I don't know. It would be a very lonely um, feeling, but in that, there would also be a lot to learn as well. But I think relationships and yeah, choosing relationships that like fulfill you and like heal you and help you grow yeah it was like you were talking about like what, what's her name Marie Kondo is that her name oh yeah um uh, does it spark joy yes if it does it does it bring you joy if not throw that shit away yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true yeah that's really true um and like just a just to piggyback off what you were just saying, like, it really does feel like, especially this year, you figure out really who you are because, like, a lot of, like, the extra stuff, whatever that thing may be, it's just not there no more. So then, like, what, who are you? What are you going to do? And what can you do with the time? You know what I'm saying? What, what are you going to put your energy towards? Because 
I don't know about y'all, but like, it at least we, there's no reason to have like nine to fives anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, I at least there's we don't need to be in offices. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to do forty hour work weeks because I realize it's like, no, I, I don't, I don't. It doesn't serve me. Okay, it doesn't spark joy for me. So I don't. I'm not trying to do that no more. <laughs> we we just lived in a culture where it's like pre-COVID, we're just running around, right? Like there was no intentionality behind any decision-making, like whatever you're dealing with, you could just, I feel like I can't speak for everyone, right? But a lot of my life was just like distraction or like, I mean, I don't know how many people, uh, like your favorite your favorite restaurant that you used to go out to like pre-COVID, it, have you taken out or like eaten out food there since? And like tasted it and been like, this isn't even that good. Like what, like, I feel like I was just living in a constant state of autopilot. I wasn't aware of anything that I was doing. I wasn't um, intentional with my time. And I just felt like I was always on and running and like searching for this idea of productivity and success that really just doesn't exist, you know? And that's okay. I'm learning like that's, it's not, you know, if I do one thing today, that's fine. If I don't do anything, that's okay as well. Um, and just like trying to give myself more grace. That's huge. Give yourself more grace. That is for sure. That's huge. Um, Cause yeah, man, like, and again, there's, even in that, there's so much privilege, right? Cause people, we're only in the house like this because people are dying, you know? Like people have been all year, and I'm um, I'm I'm like excited about the possibilities that this vaccine is going to bring, but it's like I, yeah, I also recognize that there's a lot that I have to be like grateful for, um, because you know I'm healthy and a lot of people are not right now, you know, and I don't know about y'all, but I definitely have family members who've had the virus and as well, and thankfully I haven't lost anybody, but. Again, that's not everybody's situation. You feel me? Yeah. So it's like, yo, give yourself some grace because, like, it's crazy outside. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, can you tell us more about your storytelling platform? Yeah. So I, um, it's called Tiana's Creative. It's launching in February. And I... I'm just going to like engage in creative play with people, um, with friends, family, anybody really. Um, but if people that have a story that they want to share, all I require is that they're vulnerable and they just submit it to the blog and I'll work with them through a documentary, a podcast, video, photography, like whatever is healing for them. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I, uh, it's so strange to like, to do something this entire time and not realize what you were doing um, because I've been doing this work on my blog for the last five years, but I never thought of it as a storyteller. Um, so a lot of that has been very, um, it's been very healing for me to have like my own safe space. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's launching in, in February. That's super dope. That's like, um so I studied creative arts therapy specifically drama therapy um that's my other master's and it's all like about 
your story and your narrative and like a lot of the techniques are to use art and helping people to take ownership and be empowered by their narrative and then be able to use art in a way to like reshape your narrative in a way right where like you are empowered and you're deciding like this is how I'm gonna tell my story or the things that have happened to me and like how that can be healing so that's really dope yeah Um, like all about it Mm -hmm. so like what inspired it like when what made you say like you know this is the thing I'm about to do like what was that moment like it's really been a journey uh like all of this has been it's been such a crazy year for everyone I've I've had a really crazy year. I've been out of the State Department for a year. I actually quit in October of last year. Um, When I was in Juarez, I was, uh, since I lived so close to the border, I would cross back and forth. Everybody did that. Um, You just cross into the US, I'd pop over to Target coffee shop and come back over. Um, And I was, every time that I would cross, every like two or two out of three times that I would cross, I was pulled over into secondary inspection by Customs and Border Protection. Um, So in about a five month span, I was pulled over 25 times and most of my colleagues weren't. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it got pretty extreme. It was racist comments, comments about me being a woman. Um, I had a gun pulled on me twice. And I uh, was diagnosed with PTSD, depression, and anxiety at the age of, I think I was 26 at the time. This is two years ago. So I would use my blog as like the only outlet because I was living alone in Mexico and my family was in North Carolina. Um, But I would use my blog as this like outlet where I would write about what I was going through or not specifically, but I would write about like my friends I met or like the coffee shop or whatever, but I was using it as this release of like getting and like shedding whatever I was experiencing. Um, So my job ended up moving me to, uh, they like essentially gaslighted me for like a month about what I was experiencing wasn't racism or anything like that. And I was explaining to white men what racism is which is just, mm-hmm. so no one protected me. They actually moved me to Mexico City away from the border, but by then the damage had been done. So I was in Mexico City for only six months because I decided like I had to leave that environment to heal because if not, I, I wouldn't be here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I moved back I know it's like a a long story or whatever, but I moved back and in, like I was going through therapy and everything like that. And I realized that like, I'd never allowed myself to feel what had happened to me. And Mm -hmm. I wrote about it one night in my blog, like everything I listed the officer's names, I went through the entire situation and I woke up the next morning and my blog had gone viral. Um, I had like over 40,000 views on it and like, Um, It was picked up this summer by like Politico, New York Times, LA Times, like it was just, it's been a really wild year. But I realized that 
I am a storyteller and I've been using this outlet this entire time to just like shed and heal and let go. And I realized that in me being vulnerable, I like, I feel better for myself, but I also really like impacted a lot of other people this summer. Um, and my story is out there, which I like, sometimes it makes me really uncomfortable knowing that people know that much about me. Um, but I feel like I've done, like it's been a positive shift. So I decided to start my storytelling platform because I still need that space. But I've been doing it for myself, but I wanted to also add other people in the healing, engaging way. So that's the long of the short of like why I started it, but also what I've been going through these this last year and a half. Yeah, but I mean, like, I feel like had you not told the whole story, you know what I'm saying, you wouldn't be giving it like the justice that it deserves. Like, it's really like you took like a really really horrible experience and turned it into like a platform for other people to just do the same thing that you did right yeah it's pretty dope it's really dope yeah thank you it's it's i mean i feel like so many people have stories i know they do and it's not always traumatic right it doesn't have to be as traumatic as what happened to me but a lot of times we just don't have the space and especially as people of color like I am just so tired of explaining situations to white people that will never understand me. Mm -hmm. So like I need my own space and that's my own radical self care on how I'm going to keep living within this world, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of strength to like speak about the experience, especially like in detail. Mm -hmm. And also what, what you're saying too, of like your stories out there and like it's empowering and you, you feel like from what I hear, like good that you're helping people um and it's a release but at the same time like that other duality experience exists of like oh whoa like people know such an intimate thing about me yeah it's been really crazy um I mean I just I didn't expect any of this like I just like last year I think the only people who read my blog were like my mom and dad maybe my brother you know um but i i just i just wrote it i think that's the thing like when you i was just vulnerable and i didn't expect anyone to read it mm -hmm. um and uh it's called what do i want from white people an illustration on being black in america and i just talk about my experience you know just being a black woman existing in these spaces and like this for me a lot of it's been difficult because i feel like so many of us are raised with respectability politics of like like it's really hard to admit i've been doing a lot of work on this in therapy but like i really thought if i just worked really hard and like gave it my best and you know i went to college i've got this grad degree and i was a diplomat for the united states of america and this still happened like I still was mm -hmm. just a black woman at the end of the day. I like, I mean, they could have, they they could have killed me if they wanted and people would have just watched that video and I would have been a hashtag. But it's like, but I did all these things. I did what I was supposed to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So supposed to, I said that in like air quotes, but so for me, it's like this, I've had to grapple a lot with that, you know, like, that 
I had this status and I had this power and I was aware of it and how I interacted with um, applicants and how I treated them, which a lot of my colleagues did not treat people with that same respect. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also like on a personal level, I mean, you can Google my name and like you get 15, 20 articles of like the fact I have PTSD and CVP messed with me. Right. So it's like this, this duality of, I did, I know I did the right thing and I know that I don't have to carry that anymore, which has been very powerful, but also behind the scenes, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just been such a wild year, you know? Mm-hmm. So at this point, who even decides what is the right thing, if this can be an outcome, you know, like, yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, it's like, for me, when we talk about FKA twigs, it's like, no, really, it's, it's the law is not going to validate you. Um, yeah, I filled a, I filed an EEO complaint, you know, I'm still waiting on that. But I mean, the thing is, like, it still happened to me. Right. So mm-hmm. what you mean, if you know, what can the law really do for me at the end of the day? Like, so a lot of this, my storytelling platform included has just been taking my power back, right? Like you speak up, mm-hmm. you tell people this happened to you and you know, hopefully it won't happen to anybody else. They've, um, the State Department has established like, uh, like uh, committees where they have to report border crossings um, each month and to see if anybody at the consulate or the embassy has issues crossing the border. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure with all the news and stuff that Customs and Border Protection will think next time that they think about harassing a black or brown diplomat. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's, for me, I guess that's justice, you know? Mm-hmm. That it, I know that it won't happen. It'll happen again, but I think that people are actually going to be more aware of what's going on. Exciting stuff. I'm really excited to see how, like, it grows. Because I already know, because like off the top, like I just feel like there's a bunch of people who I, I also know, who are like storytellers, that would be interested in like working on something this like with this as well. So it's like, it just feels like there's like a lot of possibilities that could come from this. So I don't know my mind's racing. I'm excited. So yeah, it's gonna be dope. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. I appreciate it. Yeah, for real. And I felt like, I feel like you spoke upon this, but like right that's great that that they changed or that they had some type of like thing that was put in place after what had happened to you but like you're still left with the experience and like through your platform it's you're giving a platform to other people to heal but also it's like I feel like at least you can correct me if I'm wrong but it it's healing too for you or like a continuation because like right you still have to grapple with everything that you went through and it doesn't like end there yeah and so you're completely right a lot of it I think it's just it's for me it's like reclaiming Mm -hmm. right it's like I had this experience this is this has been a terrible experience but I'm also going to create something from it and not in the form of like it doesn't even have to be compensation or like, I'm going to do something that makes me feel better. Um, and I think, like, a lot of times we just, we don't think about the after the aftermath of what actually happens to people. 
Like I'm still in therapy weekly. I still, um, you know, I still have PTSD. I still don't really go outside at night, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like in me talking about this, I've talked to a lot of people that also deal with these same things. And I know that I'm really not alone at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been, I mean, not good or bad, but like, there's been a lot of movement that's come from it. I was able to like start a GoFundMe and raise um, $33,000 for my community this summer and um, a month, which was super dope. So I gave like, um, I found 12 organizations here in Durham that have impacted my life in some way. And everybody got about $2,500. So it it was really like, you know, we, um, GoFundMe covered four people moving out of the shelter their first month of rent. Mm-hmm. Um, kids got summer school um, at the community garden, like a virtual summer school. Um, we started a food pantry at the mosque down the street. Like it's just, it's been like you know you take you have a terrible experience, but you also like help other people in the process, um, and that helps. That's had that's helped me move forward. That's awesome. Like the word that comes to my mind is really like growth, like not only personal growth, but like the growth and giving that you're doing as well and helping other people to grow, um, whether it be like these kids or like the opportunity, right, to have rent and things like that. So I think that's so important in terms of like when something happens, at least I could speak for myself, like when something happens to me or like a traumatic event of like, how am I going to grow from this? And like, how am I going to heal? And then also like, what changes can I bring in terms of like my community as well for individuals who may experience something similar or have another experience, right? How can I help facilitate growth? And then, and at the same time, like, knowing that again you have to give yourself a lot of grace and not feeling like you have to well something bad happened to me so i have to turn into a positive like sure but like take your time take Mm -hmm. as much time as you need to 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 feel okay enough to to make a move like that you know because like you said it's a it's a traumatic event um it's a lot it's a lot to deal with so Mm -hmm. i think it's really dope that like you know, you've done so much since that happened to you, you know, and like, it's really cool and it's really inspiring. So kudos, you know what I'm saying? Like um, claps all around, you know what I'm saying? Snaps, that's what's up. It really is like, um, because I also know that like you telling your story this way, um, you raising, raising money for your community, it's going to inspire people to do the same thing, you Mm -hmm. know, so yeah it's it's what did you say it's a big deal oh thank you no i really i really appreciate it it's it's definitely been a journey you know but i've had so many people like that's what i mean that community is so important right like i've had so many people that have just poured into my life and and who have also held me accountable you know i had a friend call me and she's like Tiana, I swear to God, if you do one more piece about the State Department, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> so I'm gonna claw my eyeballs out. Like I just move on, you know. And I had another woman who I spoke to worked in the State Department for like 15 years. So it was just like it's, you know, 
like what so what are you gonna what else are you gonna do because you can't just sit here and be Mm. the woman who had this traumatic experience like I don't want to be defined by Mm -hmm. you know I was pulled over and this happened to me right Mm -hmm. like it's time to move on yeah so for me it's been very much like a had to look at a lot of things about myself and also this new space that's been very it's always so scary to like grow into this new space right like well that happened to me but like what am I actually going to do now Mm. and I think that's for me has been even more like not frightening but you know that's my identity I think I define myself a lot by my job mistakenly and and now it's like oh okay well you know what else are you going to do now because that's that's the past right that's heavy yeah (laughs) damn cuz yeah no but it's facts it really is facts like right it's like you don't want something to define you and like your whole identity but you're grappling with it and then it's like okay am i holding on to hold on because it's been a part of my identity Am I ready now to, to like, let it go in, in such a way and, like, move forward into this new space where I'm growing and, like, that's something that happened to me, but it's not just, like, me and my identity. That's at least what I'm taking from what you're saying, and, like, I can connect to that. Um, yeah, it is very real. It is very real. You know, especially if it feels like, it's something that you were working for. You know what I'm saying? Like you worked for that opportunity to like, it's a, it's like, yeah, I was, I, I represented the United States for something. That's a big freaking deal. So it's like, why wouldn't you want to like partially identify yourself by your job, especially if like you worked for that, you know, like now I have it. And like, also it doesn't really like, it's not hitting the way I thought it was going to. Oh snap. This is not working out at all oh snap okay what are we gonna do now (laughs) you know like yeah yeah but I think it takes you a while to like to get there I mean we work for things I'm not you know like I'm not trying to to play that off but I think a lot of times we just like it's so important the words we use to define the things that happen to us um and I think a lot of me for like shifting my power back has been like I had this terrible experience happen to me and I had to leave, but I also chose myself, right? Like I also was in a situation that was devastating for my mental health and I wouldn't still be here if I would have stayed. So it's just been like, this happened, but also like, even if I didn't, you know, didn't raise any money for my community, even if I left, it's always like, no one can measure what is enough for you personally, right? Mm-hmm. But. I mean, we, I think we work for these things, but we get kind of like caught up, especially in like the foreign service world. You just think like you get two, you, two passports, you're making these decisions. Like I've, I have a lot of former colleagues who were just caught up in that world. And I'd look around, I'm like, I don't, I don't want anybody else's life here. I don't feel good here. And, you know, my mental health is in shambles. I think like, I think this is just a push for me to move to the next point of my life. And I think that's what 2020 has been for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And also it makes me think that like, 
it's so important that we we tell our own stories instead of anybody mm-hmm. else, you know? Yep. Yep. Because so many times they, like, it, it's important the words we use that we tell our own stories and that we're talking to people who actually understand us. I, You know, how many times have you told somebody a story and they just, they're not going to get it because they don't come from your background and, mm-hmm. you know? So community has been very important as well. Yeah, because you don't want you don't want to tell your story and then someone be like, mm, or not believe you, or right what you said explaining like racism to a white man like that experience or that metaphor in general, like experiencing like physical abuse or assault to like, uh, well I guess you could say also maybe like a white man or like I don't know you don't have where it's just like you're undercut the whole time and that in itself is exhausting exhausting and it's like dang you got to do it at work yes and you mean i'm not gonna come home and do that too Mm -hmm. you know like yeah (laughs) it's labor that shit is is, it is emotional labor emotional labor have you guys what were you about to say alexia i was like that's too much three much (laughs) yeah Tiana, what were you about to ask? I was going to ask you guys if you've had any, like, if you've, after, I mean, I know we've had an entire year um, with social justice and racial awareness, and, like, I know this is, what, December, and I low-key miss, like, this summer, all the the white women I knew or, like, online, they were all in the book clubs reading White Fragility and, like, oh, Lord. Wait, keep going, girl, because I love where this is going. What are you going to say? I'm just saying, like, in, you know, that was six months ago. And I, like, almost missed that uh, time because now I'm just like, where did everybody go? <laughs> so I was going to yes. ask you guys with emotional labor, if you've been doing this in your personal lives, around uh, racism or whatever it may be, or even professionally in the workplace with, I don't know if you guys are new, like, DEI consultants or you know Alexi you want to go first (laughs) I was just having this conversation I was just having this conversation about because I remember when everything was happening at like the heat of the summer you know and I was having a conversation with my partner about like because he he's like super um he likes to give people the benefit of doubt but a lot of his friends were like we're gonna start a book club like what do you recommend like all these different things and I'm very skeptical in general of things my lived experience who I am and I was just like yeah well we'll see if that really like comes to fruition like you know and we just had a conversation this weekend about it and I was like remember how frustrated I got about those conversations you know like, do we see anybody doing anything about that? Like, like what happened with the book club? Like, what, you know? Um, yeah, because I feel like a lot of that got lost in the sauce. And, like, a lot of people like to have the hashtag Black Lives Matter or, like, this is where you can donate in their Instagram bio. But, like, are they actually doing any work, any of the work? And, like, the real work that it takes to, like, confront yourself and your privileges and, like, you know, just how you moved through the world without having awareness of certain things. So I just had this conversation and it really like, I'm smiling right now because 
it's just so frustrating sometimes. Like, it's just like, wow, that was like cute, but like, where are y'all now? Like, that was so performative and cute, but like, okay. It's like, yo, what do you mean? We, we solved racism this summer. You know what I'm saying? We solved it. It's over. You know, like, what was it? And Time, Time was doing their People of the Year nominees, and, like, they put up Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Dr. Fauci, and then a picture of George, George Floyd, but then they put racial justice movement. And it's just like, yo, like, why, why didn't we just use the guy's name? Yo, use this picture. Use his name, too. His name is George. Like, that's crazy to me. But it's like, I don't know. It's like, well. Or what about, like, Breonna Taylor? You feel me? You know what I'm saying? Like, all these people. Like, all these people. And you just you boil it down to racial justice movement. Like, y'all are tripping. Y'all are all, like, this is crazy to me. Like, <laughs> And, and it's, 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 it's crazy because I was thinking, like, that before that went to production, there have to be certain eyes on it, right? So there wasn't anyone in the room. I'm willing to guess I was a person of color that would flag that. Or who even felt mm-hmm. comfortable to flag that, right? Because how do you, you have names, you have three white men, right? One who's completely decimated any, any types of like social justice movement in the United States, right? And then you don't even, the man that was murdered this summer that sparked all of these protests, you don't even put his name? No. Nope. But we'll put him on a t-shirt. Right. That is so representative of everything of everything we'll put him on a t-shirt we'll use this as like a means to sell products but we won't actually give like the real credit or name the person yeah y'all are tripping as usual you know what i'm saying so it's like there's there's just so much work to do and like it, like yeah i i have to agree like this summer it was crazy to see everybody mobilize the way that they did and then it was even crazier to see how everybody just stopped mobilizing the way that they did. Like, well, I mean, we did it. <laughs> it's over. What do you mean? <laughs> Dude, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I, Alexia, just like you, I'm very skeptical. I just, I, I mean, I had somebody ask me the other day if I believed in um, the Biden administration and if I thought the State Department was going to change. And I was just like, I mean, you have to show me something first, right? Like long gone are the days where you just, you just believe it, right? Like I need to actually see results and I need to hold you accountable while you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, you want to have hope and you want to like believe in people or like that they're going to do quote unquote the right thing, uh, do the right thing uh great movie anyways, yes love that movie it's i mean exactly uh what's kind of going on in different essences but like with what everything that was happening this summer i just like i don't know it's that feeling inside where you're just like mm, i want to have hope and I want to believe in people and I want to believe that like this momentum is going to continue. We're going to have the revolution that we, we need and we should have. But it's hard for me to like fully like believe in all of that when 
it, it it's just like book clubs or like, oh, we promise this and it's not actual like here are the steps. We're putting people in power. Uh, yeah, like actually executing this. Mm-hmm. Like you go on a company website and we have a we uh, we have a commitment towards diversity and equity within our organization. And like on that page, you got like one black guy and like an Asian woman and then like one like Latinx woman on that particular page. And then you go to the rest of the website, it's all white people. <laughs> it's like, yo, okay, okay, sure. Like words are cool, but like, yeah, it would, it would be nice to see some, some like uh, some evidence. But also, I, at least for me, it feels like we are just creeping ever so close to it all. It's like has again. I hate that it had to be like. I hate that it had to take more people dying when they didn't have to for everybody to like. Whoa, something's going on. We gotta change America. It's like yeah, yes, this has been happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm glad we're all on the same page that something needs to change. But then it's gonna take a lot of people getting real uncomfortable. You know, and like, just be okay with being uncomfortable. You know, because revolution is not. It's not like fun, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like it's something that's gonna be fun, but it feels like it's something that's necessary. I don't know. I mean, but what would that what would that look like to you guys? Like, what does change look like? I've I've thought this a lot. Like, you know, when when all those white people I know started the book club, like, what was I expecting from it? Or, or how do I want them to? Like, what do I really? What do I want from white people? The book club thing. I, <laughs> I was like, the best you could do is come up with a, we all got to have a book club. <laughs> and like, I don't know, hypothesize our different like views in such a way. You know what I mean? The book club thing, I was like, that's nice. But uh, <sighs> it's hard. Like, what do you, what do you want from white people? That's such a good um, thing to think upon. Uh and I kind of go back and forth in terms of like being optimistic, kind of what Marcus said, right? Mm-hmm. We've moved in a direction um, that we weren't be- before there, but at the same time, there's so much more to grow and to move. And like, then the other part of me, like that's more pessimistic and like uber critical is like, did we really move forward? Like, are people going to be put in power that actually, like, can give a different perspective and represent people who have been unrepresented before? So, I don't know. It becomes, like, very challenging. What I want from white people really is to take the time to have perspective and to really look upon oneself and privilege and also to have empathy and, and get outside of oneself in that like pretty like individualistic selfish way like right you've only lived one experience your whole life you only have one narrative but just like a story when you read a story you can have empathy for the different characters in the story so can we use that tool and realize that my lived experience is not like the end all be all. 
right? Somebody else can have a different experience due to these different circumstances. So for me, I feel like what I want from white people or like the majority group is to like start building that. And that's like, I guess a big ask. Is that a big ask to be like, hey, can you like look at yourself? Like it's hard to look at yourself and to be like, yeah, I do have these different qualities that do benefit me. Like there's a lot of guilt that comes into that, but I'm just like, is it really that hard when you read a story, you can have empathy and perspective, but why is it so difficult? Like in our own like real like life here in this world, in this country. I don't think that's a big ask though. Because I feel like being black in America has forced me to be self-reflective at all times of day, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I have to do this because I'm not trying to like get swallowed up by the system in so many ways that you can get swallowed up by the system, right? So it's like, like even learning how to code switch throughout my life, you know, like using diction in certain situations and communities where I am, all that, all that, you know, like, but I've had to, I've had to do it. We've all had to do that. So asking white people to do the same thing shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a big ask because everybody else has to, you know what I'm saying? That's like, true. and like, I mean, the oh, same that's thing. true. Being like, I'm a, like, I'm a man, right? So it's like the, the world is pretty much set up for me to like, well, it'll be okay. You know, you're a man, you, you, you got it, blah, blah, blah. But again, my perspective as a man is not the same as everybody else's in the room because I'm a man and the world's basically set up for me, right? So knowing that you have this, what are you going to do for the people around you? Like exactly like you said, like how are you going to empathize with the people around you who don't have that privilege? You know what I'm saying? Like who whose voices are you going to whose voices are you going to empower? When are you going to speak? When you're not going to like when you're not going to speak, right? Are you talking over people at this moment? Like Again, you're supposed to do these things because everybody else has to think about this stuff. So I don't think it's a big ask. That's just me. Why people be lazy? It's not a big ask at all. <laughs> it's, it's like you, I mean, and the ask would make them a better, make them better people, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that's, isn't that what, not, I mean, I can't say for everybody, but that would be the work for our country to get better for everyone to engage in that type of like self-reflection and knowledge to grow our our communities and our environments but i i've been watching um the crown on netflix yes so good i'm on season three now right but i didn't understand white supremacy until i watched the crown Mm. because it's it's americans tradition it's America's um, backstory and history. So I think a lot of white people, if they had to look at themselves, like you would, I don't know. I, I mean, if you had inherited, and this isn't for all white people, right? But if, you, if you've inherited your home, you have your job because of nepotism, mm-hmm. you live in this neighborhood because of the color of your skin, and you've always been deemed as the acceptable race and superior race then you would really just have to like be mediocre you'd have to 
you'd have to look at yourself and think like, oh, wow, I didn't earn any of this. Yeah. At, at all. And I, I don't, I don't deserve any of these things because I haven't worked hard for them. Yeah. So that's probably really tough. I imagine. That's. Um, <laughs> I've actually, okay. I'm sure we've all had this experience, but like, you just lays down some facts. So <laughs> I tried to explain this once to a white male uh, that like, yeah, racism exists. And like, you know, you've always had some type of privilege. And he had told me, well, you know, I didn't come from money. I grew up in Detroit, blah, 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 all this stuff. Like, so you're telling me like, I don't have to work as hard, all these things. And I'm like, well, you always had some type of privilege that like helped you out along the way, right? That's not to say that you didn't put in the work to get where you are, but you've always had uh, a one up because of being a man and being white. And then, you know, he got really offended and then kind of said to me like, well, you know, where I work is mostly Asian people and I'm the only white man. And like, they hire mostly Asian people and I'm the minority. So like, and I was just like, damn, wow. Like your like white fragility and masculinity is like on this really tiny, like delicate string because you, you can't even like handle the fact that like, yeah, you might've had a somewhat easier time but that doesn't diminish all the things you've been through in your life but just think about that experience being a man who's a man of color or a black man and then why don't we put in like being a female or being trans or anything like that like on top of your narrative but like to even get to that part of like can we try to create perspective or empathy is like blocked because it would diminish one's accomplishments in a sense always makes me think like okay so rest in peace to the legend mac miller right but also rest in peace to the legend whitney houston and the way that people will make jokes about the circumstances through which whitney houston passed away but then whenever we talk about mac it's like man that's real sad it's sad for both it's sad for everybody you know what i'm saying we don't want people to like we don't want people to pass away because of the drugs but then like the narrative that we we will string up because max white so it's like oh man i really miss mac it's like yeah i really miss mac too and like also can we have that same empathy for whitney houston because like i miss whitney houston you know what i'm saying like she's I've been on a Whitney Houston kick lately. I've just been singing, singing in my rooms like, dog, she was incredible, you know? So I don't know. Like, it's just like, even down to like the narrative of it all, right? Like, they'll, it, it always will get spun in a certain way to, to make it seem like, oh, what an unfortunate incident. What an unfortunate case of a young man he was, you know, in comparison to Whitney Houston, she was doing it to herself, blah, blah, blah. It's like, why can't we have that same type of empathy for everybody who's going through whatever they're going through, you know? Um. 
I, I want to kind of bring it back to this mediocre and like excellence thing, or I'm bringing in this excellence word because I feel like for myself, even an internship, like I feel that I have to be excellent. I feel like I have to do everything like perfect. And I know that that's not right. That's not the best thing <laughs> to put on oneself. But it's like I got all these opportunities like I need to take them and I need to do them just excellent. Like I have to be excellent in order to like get ahead or to like show people, right, that I, a Latina, a woman, woman of color can be like, yeah, on my game. And I wonder, like, is it really true? Like, why people don't have to work as hard? It's like, okay to be mediocre, like you're excellent when you're mediocre. And then on top of it, it adds to this like, pressure as people of color to like work our asses off and be like, fuck, like, damn, like I haven't taken care of myself in like a few days. And I'm wondering why I'm like getting just like super, whether it's anxious or just like tired. And I'm like, damn, I got to be excellent all the time. That's, I feel like that's what we were taught. Right. And not that our, not that it's all on our parents or like our grandparents or whatever generation, but we were taught like twice as hard and, you know, like, you want to work hard, you want to get to the Harvard, you want to get to um, the Amazons and Microsofts, you, like there's a certain level of success that you need to reach, right? And then you look back, like I've had to sit and look at it. I'm like, wait, but I'm only, it feels like I'm success to success in an American like standpoint mm -hmm. is the closer I get to whiteness. And I'm, I'm just not like, I am just, I am just leaving an experience where I had everything I had beaten out of me. And I had achieved all that. So for me, it's just been like, a, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I, you know, like, I'm going to show up how I show up. I'm going to give it my best, but I can't keep trying to meet these unsustainable levels of success and excellence. Like I just, and then you get there and the environment really isn't, <laughs> you're working with like people who can't type, like, or just, you I, know they're mediocre. <laughs> I had a, I had a boss, not, that's not a good example. I had a boss once multimillionaire and I'm like, well, how did you get this far or whatever? And he's like, well, I went to Duke, but I never graduated. He's like, I just, you know, I like stopped going. And I just wrote on my resume that I had a degree in computer science. And I started a computer science program or like business. And the dude had multimillionaire. And you what, a, really, what a life. <laughs> what a it's life. It's like the cojones you get. You're just like, I'm just not going to finish because I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah. I'm going to say I did it. I'm gonna, but the thing that was wild to me, he didn't even think about like the fact that he had said he was going to do it. He was just like, and no one asked me. So. Wow. So, and that's the thing I'm saying, like you get to those spaces and you're like, wow, I'm working with this person who's like, like, mm -hmm. It, like all this stuff that we've been doing to reach these heights and levels, it really doesn't even matter at the end. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it makes me think about one of my former roommates. Uh, he was older and he was telling us the story of when his son was in college, he, uh, he was making a lot of fake IDs and to the point that he was making them too well. And uh, the FBI found out about him and like took him into custody. So then my roommate, the kid's dad, um, went into the room with the officers and his son basically said, well, he's just a kid making some mistakes and basically bargained uh, his, uh, his sentence down to community service. And, and he was like, yeah, cause like, and that's, and that's why I'm getting into, that's why I'm getting into law right now. And I was like, yo, what, wow. All right. So that's, that's good for you and your son. Cause if it was me, I would've got locked underneath the jail. Are you kidding me? What you bargained your son's thing down to community service? What a life! <laughs> what a life! That's crazy. I was always so confused as to like why this older white man was living in this uh, house full of like grad students. A lot of questions. A lot that I can't even answer. No, I don't get it. But yeah, understand. Oh, mm. uh, yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I think for me, it's nice to talk about like this excellence pressure with y'all because in my internship, my supervisor is white. He like does his best. He's not like a bad person or anything, but like he didn't really understand like the pressure I felt until I explained it more to him. And like gave him that um, context because uh, I, I feel like he kind of just like missed the mark and was asking me other questions. And I was like, no, not really. I, I, it's this because of all these different things. And that kind of like illuminated and was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, so yeah, I thank you guys for um, listening to like my excellence thing because I really do feel like that is such a thing I feel like we got to be perfect Mm -hmm. yeah got a lot of a lot of pressure on our shoulders you know but I feel like my shoulders are sturdy enough I think your shoulders are sturdy enough too so and I think it's also just like not putting so much pressure on ourselves like for me COVID's brought out this idea of um I mean I wasn't productive unless I made a to-do list and I checked everything off right but it's like I'm only striving for certain things underneath like this capitalistic society and system that they just it's not sustainable so like excellence hands down is we're to grow you're supposed to make mistakes you're supposed to be able to ask for help like all these standards were were held to here in the u.s of um this idea of excellence it's just like at the end of the day it doesn't really add to you as a person mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. feels like a bar <laughs> should i write that down yeah right yeah that was, that was hard that was hard well Yo, I mean, I feel like that's like a wonderful spot to wrap, you know, like, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Really appreciate you taking the time and such. Um, Before we like wrap up, is there anything you want to plug? 
anything else? Um, you can check out my blog, uh, com, And uh, my storytelling platform is Tiana's Creative. Sweet. Yeah. Um, launching on, we'll have a website and Instagram, but it's, mm -hmm. it's really been great talking to you guys. It's, I'm leaving with a lot to think about and um, also feel like I've like built community with you guys. It, it feels really good. I really appreciate y'all. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, this conversation was super, for me, healing, and it was like really nice to be able to connect. And I think community is definitely the word. So thank you again. Um, so, I mean, if you don't follow us, please follow us on Instagram at Implicitly Awkward. We just have, we just uh, released the, the, the holiday drop. You know what I'm saying? We got some new hoodies. We got yeah. beanies. Anything else? Yeah. Um, yeah, we have hoodies, the beanies, um, some Christmas stuff. Uh, yeah, so please check that out. Um, also, follow us on Twitter, implicitly awk, because too many characters. So, implicitly awk, AWK. Um, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. That's all we got. All right, uh, that was implicitly awkward. <laughs>